Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. This is going to be a difficult program. My friend Dr. Mike Adams. As many of you know, he was a UNC Wilmington criminology professor. He was a a visiting professor or in-residence professor at Summit Ministries. He was a columnist. He was an author. He was a free speech and pro-life warrior. He was a fellow instructor with me and Jay Warner Wallace on a program we called Fearless Faith that we would take to churches and prepare young people for college with the Fearless Faith program. And most importantly, he was a born-again Christian. Authorities are ruling it a suicide is that really what happened? And if so, why? Now, Mike and I have been friends for probably 12 to 14 years. And I've been in contact with Mike or I've been with Mike frequently over the past couple of months. In fact, um, he house sat and dog sat at my house for five days just two weeks ago while we were in Florida to bury my father. And I'll give you the events that led up to his tragic death in a minute, but I just want to tell you about the Mike Adams that I, <clears throat> that I knew and loved. Let's go back to the beginning. He was born in um, Columbus, Mississippi. And his teenage years, he, he, they were filled with a love for soccer and music. In fact, he was a very good goalie. He... Uh, he wanted to go on and play, play professional soccer, but he blew out his Achilles tendon, and uh, he couldn't do that anymore. So that derailed his goalie career, but he was pretty skilled musically. In fact, he, he paid his way through college and postgraduate education basically by playing in a duet. He would play guitar, and a, a lady would sing, and they would do 60s and 70s hits. They'd do it in bars and venues and weddings, that kind of thing. And he worked his way through college with that income. Uh, he then earned a doctorate at Mississippi State University, became a criminology professor at UNC Wilmington uh, back, I think, in about 1993. And when he did, he was a staunch atheist and a liberal. Uh, but after seeing the mistreatment of prisoners while doing criminology research down in Ecuador, um, he realized that there has to be an objective standard of good by which he could make sense of evil and injustice. In fact, he met a, a death row inmate down there who had a very low IQ, but he had read the Bible and he was a Christian. And Mike thought to himself, I've never even read the Bible. But he went and he read the Bible. He became a Christian and he knew there had to be a standard of good out there that would make the injustice he saw in this prison a true injustice. Now, once he became a Christian, his outlook, his political and theological outlook changed. He became more conservative. He authored several academic papers, hundreds of columns. Most of them you can find still at townhall.com. He, he wrote three books. The most recent has one of the best sub subtitles I've ever heard. Here's the title, Letters to a Young Progressive. Here's the subtitle. How to Avoid Wasting Your Life Protesting Things You Don't Understand. This is a very good book, by the way. It, was, it started by a, a former student that wrote back to him as a progressive, as a liberal, and it was a series of letters to this young man. That's how the book grew out of that experience. And he, Mike wrote a lot about free speech. He wrote a lot about the unborn. He debated several abortion activists. In fact, he debated Willie Parker, who was a who is an abortion doctor and claimed to be a Christian at the same time. And I'll never forget in the debate, one of the things he said to Parker, who was trying to say, well, it's, you know, it's not really alive, or he was, he was he's trying to avoid the obvious implication he was killing a human being. Mike said, dead things don't grow. Yeah, what's in a woman's body 
is growing. It's alive. It has its own DNA. It has its own, its own genetic code, its own blood type. It's, a, it's an individual human being. And many children today are alive because of Mike's work. Now, Mike found out in about the mid-2000s that the university began to deny him promotions. Even though he was continually rated very highly by the students, and the university had awarded him faculty member of the year, not once, but twice prior to him becoming a Christian. But his students loved him. In fact, on Mike's obituary page, you can read tributes by his students. Just type Mike S. Adams obituary. You'll find Here's some of them. Hunter G. writes, Dr. Adams, you will be missed by many. I was honored to take your class this past spring, and it was by far the best course in UNC Wilmington in the criminal justice curriculum. I will always look up to you. Thank you for teaching us to stand for our rights. Jenna Cooper writes, Dr. Adams was the best professor I ever had. I thank him for all he taught me, as well as his endless mentorship and guidance. I wish I could reach out to him now as I start law school. A goal he helped me achieve. He will not be forgotten. Wendy Hobbs writes, again, this is on his obituary page. I signed up for every class I could taught by Dr. Adams. He made a huge difference in my education and life. I'm so heartbroken to hear of his tragic loss. This tragic loss of such an amazing hero. My thoughts and prayers are with you. Amber Sowell writes, Two years ago, Dr. Adams met me in his office for office hours. I was nervous about talking about his criminal procedures course because I had just been diagnosed with ADHD and his course rejected the use of technology. And I was nervous that I'd miss important notes. He gave me a mini speech that in the moment I found slightly offensive. But after going home, I realized that his speech was to teach me not to let things hold me back from success, even though they are things I can't control, like my ADHD. He also spiked my interest in becoming a DEA agent in order to get drug dealers off the street. Before Dr. Adams, I didn't think I could become a DEA agent, a DEA agent. I didn't think I was strong enough. After Dr. Adams, I know that as long as I push forward with new obstacles and opportunities, I can accomplish anything. I can set my mind and willpower too. I'm going to get my DEA badge in honor of the legacy of Mike Adams left in my life. It's been hard to see his controversial satire form, negative opinions of him by people who had never met him. Dr. Adams was my favorite professor and such a great man with a genuinely kind heart. I'm so sorry for your loss. Amy Brownwell, again, a student, writes this. Mike was one of my favorite professors. I love coming to his criminal justice class. He helped foster an open-mindedness in his students, and I will forever be grateful for his influence. I'm lucky to have known him for even a brief period of time. I thought he was genuine and kind. He made me laugh, and he made me appreciate learning new concepts. Maria Power, you should notice, by the way, most of these tributes are from ladies, from women. They claimed he was misogynistic. It's nonsense. Here's what Maria Power says. Professor Adams' passing is an enormous loss. His bright, witty discourse made class exciting, interesting. His passion for educating was clear. He was an inspirational professor, the kind you never forget. To his family and friends, I'm truly sorry for your loss. May he rest in peace. Laura Morrison writes, Mike Adams knew that I was a liberal. He knew I was a feminist, and I was still one of his favorite students. And she said a lot more I'll get to later. And those are just some of his students. But the University of North Carolina at Wilmington stopped promoting Mike and never gave him, or or, or stopped promoting Mike and gave him bad teaching grades, even though they never entered his classroom to see and hear him teach after he became a Christian. So they just without even knowing what he was doing in the classroom said he was a bad teacher, despite the fact that his students Not just these testimonies, but in Rate My Professors, he was always near the very top of the university. So Mike sued them. The case went all the way to the United States Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, where Mike won a jury judgment that continues to protect the free speech of professors to this day. That was a seven-year battle. And David French was his attorney. David just wrote a column on Mike. You could just type... David French, Mike Adams, you'll see a eulogy to Mike. He talks about that entire seven-year ordeal. 
And what Mike has done by going through that is he's he's put a court case up that will protect other people who are professors to not be discriminated against because of their political opinions. That's gonna that lives on well after Mike. Now I met Mike about the time he started this suit against UNC Wilmington, so the mid two thousands. What happened was, um, Mike recommended our book, the one I wrote with Dr. Norman Geiser called "I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist," to a gentleman that Mike knew, and the man got so enthralled with the book that he ordered. He became a Christian and he ordered cases of books for other people he kept handing them out his name was jimmy duke and um about six months later he got a disease and he died and mike wrote a column about this and dr geiser saw the column and so we reached out to mike and that's how we became friends three days ago i got a call from jimmy duke jimmy duke's son because he heard about mike so we had a conversation about it but that's how i got to know mike through a column where he referenced, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And I would follow his columns, and I, I would go to Summit and teach, and I, I introduced Mike to the president of Summit. At the time, was Doc Noble. He was the founder of Summit. Now it's Jeff Myers. But I said, um, Doc, this guy would be great to have at Summit. And so Doc invited Mike to come in the summer and stay on the campus there and teach every class that came through, all seven classes. And he's been doing that for 12 years this is the only year he didn't do it because it's only virtual because of the coronavirus over the years mike has trained about 15,000 students right through summit this is in addition to unc wilmington at about 2011 <clears throat> some of when i was doing training for fortune 500 companies i was actually fired by cisco and also bank of america because I had written a book called Correct, Not Politically Correct, How Same-Sex Marriage Hurts Everyone. This is not a book I brought up at work or anything. Just somebody happened to discover it. It was in one of my leadership classes who identified as LGBTQ. And despite the fact that he loved my leadership class, he said, you know, Frank can't teach here because he doesn't agree with same-sex marriage. Keep in mind, this is four years before the same-sex marriage case came to the Supreme Court. Anyway, um, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but I basically said to Cisco, wait a minute, your, your own CEO agrees with me on same-sex marriage because he was supporting John McCain for president as I was. I'm a Navy veteran. John McCain is a Navy veteran. We both have the same view on same-sex marriage, and yet the president of Cisco, John Chambers, is supporting McCain for president. I, so I wrote McCain a letter. I said, are you qualified to be working at Cisco? You hold the same view I do, and I'm not qualified to work there. Anyway, Mike was with me when we had a call with the president or the the um, director of inclusion and diversity at Cisco. We were both at Summit, and I put the phone on speakerphone, and we were having a conversation talking about what inclusion and diversity actually means, and all we got back was platitudes. She couldn't quite understand why, why I was upset that I was excluded from holding a diverse view in a place that supposedly is for inclusion, tolerance, and diversity. So after we hung up the phone, I said, Mike, we got to go public with this. So Mike was a columnist at Town Hall. I said, would you write the first column? He said, sure. He called it the Cisco Kid. Here's what he said in the column. This is just one paragraph. This is from June of 2011. He says, I assume the intent of Cisco's, and this is an open letter to John Chambers, the president of Cisco at the time. He says, I assume the intent of Cisco's value of inclusion and diversity is to ensure that people in that diverse workforce will work together cordially and professionally, even though they inevitably disagree on certain political, moral, or religious questions. Please note that Dr. Turek agrees with that value and was demonstrating it. The manager, the one that wanted me fired, and the HR professional who fired me were not. Dr. Turek was being inclusive, working with them. They were being exclusive by refusing to work with him, even though his viewpoint was never discussed during his work at Cisco. Ironically, the people who say they are fighting for tolerance are often the most intolerant, unquote. Mike was a great ally to me in that whole fiasco. Then Mike hosted me down at UNCW. He was the head of a, a student group there, the faculty advisor, and so I did I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist down there a couple of times. Then I asked Mike to be part of our Fearless Faith team, myself, Jay Warner Wallace, 
and Mike would go around the country to different churches and present Fearless Faith. It's now a DVD set. You could get at our website. And Jim and I are going to talk about Mike on a Hope One live stream, YouTube live stream on August 13th, Lord willing. And we'll show some of the pictures and some of the things we we did uh, with Mike and what we learned about Mike and from Mike on that live stream. I hope you'll join us. We also did a Fearless Generation series at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills with the great Jack Hibbs out there. That's a, that's a DVD set as well. I had Mike on the podcast several times. This podcast that you can, you can go to our, you can go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and, or just go to our, our app and go to the archives and look for Mike Adams. We had a great one on pro-life right after he debated Willie Parker, the abortion doctor. When the hurricane hit a couple of years ago, it looked like it was going to hit Wilmington hard, and it did. I said, Mike, come up here to Charlotte, stay with us. So he did. He spent a few days here while Wilmington got 41 inches of rain. So he, he came to this house frequently. And Mike loves satire. In fact, he, he wrote some of the articles for the Babylon Bee. Those of you know the Babylon Bee, you know, it's a Christian satire site. It's brilliant. And you might ask yourself, well, what, really, what is satire? Here's the, here's the dictionary definition of satire. The use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. Now, some people do satire, others don't. Mike did. He loved doing satire. He loved doing satire. And, and Jesus did satire. Jesus mocked people. Jesus mocked, yes. The Pharisees. He says, what are you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites? You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. He's mocking them. He's ridiculing them for their misplaced priorities. They're taking gnats out of the water, but they're swallowing camels. So... Jesus did that. And it doesn't mean every use of satire and ridicule is proper. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not saying Mike didn't sometimes test that envelope. Sometimes he went too far by his own admission. I'll get to that here in a few minutes. But satire you can use even as a Christian. And sometimes it's more effective. The Babylon Bee does this all the time. Look, you could say Biden is out of touch, for example. Or you could have a headline like struggling Biden campaign now offering one month of free AOL for rally attendance. Okay, now that's funnier. It gets the point across better. You could say the media is biased against Trump, right? You could just say that. It's true. Or you could say genius Trump wears masks, causing media to question effectiveness of masks. That's a Babylon B headline. It's satire. It gets the point across more effectively. You can say that some seeker church services are shallow. Or you could put a headline out that says, Holy Spirit unable to move after fog machine breaks. Yeah, that's satire. That's what the Babylon B does, and Mike contributed to that. And he was the king of puns. He was amazing with puns. I could not keep up with him on puns. He would, he, I, I could go two puns in. He would go eight. We were just sitting on our patio a couple of weeks ago. And he said, I used to date a girl from Iowa. She had a, um, she had a cornfield in her backyard. She turned out to be a stalker. <laughs> he said, once, <laughs> once his hair started to go gray, he called himself a gray rights ag- ad- activist. <laughs> I mean, he had pun after pun, and and he he would just he just had a, such a great sense of humor. He he once joined a group of communists at University of Massachusetts at Amherst who were protesting him. He was there to speak, but he joined their protest. And when they realized that he was in the protest with them, pumping his fist, going, "I hate Mike Adams! I hate Mike Adams!" They realized it was him, and and they said, "Hey, get out of our space." These were communists, by the way. A group of communists said to him, get out of our space. And he said, you don't understand. As communists, you don't have your own space. We share space. In fact, he created and he sold I Hate Mike Adams bumper stickers to socialists so they would be paying for his website by purchasing the I Hate Mike Adams bumper stickers. He called it the ultimate triumph of capitalism over socialism. He said, these people are so stoned, you could blindfold them with dental floss. And one of his favorite lines that he had, I just love this. He said, I have a new book. It's called 10 Steps to Humility and How I Made It in Seven, which is really humble of me because I actually made it in six. 
So Mike loved satire. He loved exaggeration. He loved poking people with humor. And so when we read, the people who knew Mike, when we read a, a tweet of his, we could hear him say it because he's funny. He's punny. He's satirical. He shocks with satire. And people who don't know him don't know that. They don't know his tone. They don't know his voice. And just about three weeks ago when he was here, he said the COVID isolation wasn't good for him. He loved teaching. He loved being in the classroom. And he lived alone. He had a fiance that's four hours away, but he lived alone. And the isolation was not good for him. Then on May 29th, he put this tweet out. He says, this evening, I ate pizza and drank beer with six guys at a six-seat tabletop. I almost feel like a free man who was not living in the slave state of North Carolina. Massa Koopa, let my people go! Now, a university official at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington called that vile and racist. And there was a petition that went out to fire Mike. Even movie stars got involved. Fire Mike Adams. There was a fire Mike Adams rock on the campus. The left was going nuts because of this tweet. But what they don't understand is that this is satire. The leftists are so historically ignorant and so tightly wound, they either don't get it or they don't want to get it. What was Mike doing here? The Democrats were the party of slavery. He's shocking them with irony and satire. Governor Cooper is a Democrat in a southern state. And these people don't even know that the Democrats were the party of slavery, that the Republican Party was started to get rid of slavery, to eradicate it. And Mike is merely pointing this out in a fun way, and they're calling him a racist. A racist. David French, who, who is an anti-Trumper, by the way, said um, that, that, first of all, David worked with, uh, with Mike for seven years on this case. He says, Mike, in his column, he says, Mike was not a racist. I knew him. I knew his heart. In fact, if you go read the condolences page, one student, a liberal student, said this, that Mike Adams encouraged her to pursue a criminal justice career in order to fight racism. And by the way, Mike also spoke out against people who flew the Confederate flag. He thought it was stupid. What are you doing? And yet some university official just decides to brand Mike Adams as a racist and his comment as vile? By what moral standard? And do you understand anything about satire? Do you understand anything about history? Liberals have no sense of history, or leftists, some liberals do, but leftists have no sense of history, no sense of irony, no sense of humor. This is why Jerry Seinfeld, the cleanest comedian in the world, won't go to a college campus. He he can't do it anymore. Because it's impermissible to smile. It's impermissible to laugh. It's impermissible to make fun of anything anymore. So this war on Mike, that the university wanted to fire him, that social media was exploding against him. In mid-June, Mike got a death threat. He called me. He said, the FBI is looking into it. I said, Mike, come, come to my house. Don't stay in Wilmington. Come here. So he did. Came here, stayed, stayed several days in mid-June because he got a death threat. Supposedly from the people who say they're fighting for inclusion, tolerance, and diversity. The university threatened to fire him. They knew Mike probably wouldn't have the stomach to, to go through another seven years, especially without income, to fight it. But they finally worked out agreement. Mike was initially okay with the agreement, and then he became dissatisfied. He thought his career was over. And he thought he wouldn't teach again. He thought he wouldn't be able to support his fiancée. And I'll tell you what he told me. After that, right after the break, you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. We have only one break in this program. We're going to come back in two minutes with our tribute to the Mike Adams. 
Mike. Got the death threat. He came to my house. And, uh, he, uh, he expressed to me they may have gone too far on occasion trying to awaken people with truth and satire. He said his greatest mistake was getting on Twitter. And look, he's right. Twitter is not a place of nuance or for nuance. It's not a place for sustained argumentation. You know, unless you're going to put a link up there to a long article, you're not going to be able to have a sustained conversation on Twitter. And Mike expressed regret for this. Expressing regret is a sign of growth. Admitting sins and mistakes is a sign of maturity. I'll say this about Mike. Mike Adams didn't always say things rightly, but he was rarely wrong in what he said. He always had his facts right, even if he didn't like his delivery. Now, most of the time, I liked his delivery. I thought it was spot on. But sometimes we all go a little bit too far. In fact, one of his students will remind us of that here toward the end of this broadcast. And if you look at Twitter, for me, it's a sewer of hostility, emotion, and irrationality. And many on the left are historically ignorant, which is why they support Marxism. One reason they support Marxism, they, they just don't understand anything about history and why it's a failed system. And they have no sense of humor or proportion. And so somebody like Mike is their target. After Mike went home, I kept in touch with him. And on Monday, July 20th, I called him. He wasn't himself. He was distant. He was disoriented almost. He he jumped around. There were long silences in our conversation, which was never like Mike. So I said, Mike, I, I can come down there. I'm three and a half hours away in Charlotte. He's in Wilmington. Mike, I can come down there. I, you need help? He goes, well, I, I need to move out of the university on, on Friday. Can you help me do that? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to come down, Mike. I'm going to come down Friday. I'll tell you what, let's, let me call you tomorrow and, uh, and we'll work it out. He said, I love you. I said, I love you too. Hung up the phone, immediately picked up the phone. <sighs> Called my friend Jay Warner Wallace, Jim Wallace, who I'd called before when Mike felt poorly. And the last time I called Jim, Jim said, just get off social media, Mike. Don't, don't even read what they're saying about you. It's not true anyway. Get off it. And Jim, only being four years older than Mike, still was like a father to Mike. Jim is a very wise man, detective, as you know. He's got great street smarts and great academic smarts. And he's a great friend to both of us. And uh, he talked to Mike, and they called me back. He said he just wanted to get off the phone. He didn't even want to talk. I said, well, I'm going to call him tomorrow and see what's going on. So the next day, I tried to call him, couldn't get him. That's Tuesday. Wednesday, at 6.52 a.m., there was a call on my phone from Mike Adams. My phone wasn't on, so I didn't, I didn't get it. As soon as I turned it on, I saw it. I tried to call him. Couldn't get him all day. I tracked down his, I tracked down his fiance, and I won't give you her name. And her name is not in the obituary, because Mike was concerned for her safety, and rightfully so. He's getting death threats. Are they going to come after her? Anyway, I got a hold of her. I said, "Have you talked to Mike? Not lately, and we usually talk a lot. I'm worried about him." We got a hold of a friend who went to the house that night. It was dark. He said, I don't want to knock on the door at 10 p.m. I don't have Kevlar. Mike has guns. He might not know who it is. He's been acting a little paranoid lately. I'm going to come back tomorrow with another friend, and we'll try and get in. So on Thursday, they went there. They couldn't get in. They called the sheriff. Sheriff went in. Found him. Was it a murder or was it suicide? Mike had enemies, the death threats that I mentioned. The investigators have concluded it was a suicide. There was no forced entry. Of course, you can make it look like a suicide, but no, Mike was very, acting very radically in his final days. And we're waiting on the results of an autopsy. We have some evidence that there may have been something going medically wrong with him in the last days of his life that caused him not to think properly. In fact, I know of a man who was a Christian man for many years, and suddenly he became very angry, very surly, very aggressive. 
People couldn't figure out why. A month later, he took his own life. They did an autopsy. They discovered he had a brain tumor that right in the area of his brain that would cause this kind of behavior or would be correlated with this kind of behavior. We don't know if that's the case with Mike. I'm not going to get into private medical details right now, but we have reason to believe there may have been something organically, something medically wrong with him. And in fact, three of us talked to Mike about suicide before he died. I talked to him about it two weeks ago before he died, two weeks before he died. So did our friend Scott Klusendorf and Jason Jimenez. And he assured us that he wouldn't do such a thing. But ladies and gentlemen, sometimes warriors come home from war and they can't adjust. They snap. We all have our limits. None of us knows what that limit is. The Apostle Peter thought he would remain strong, and he didn't. I'll never deny you, Lord. Then he did. We don't know what we would do in such a circumstance. Oh, I would never. You don't know. I don't know. When people say, if someone threatened you to curse Christ, would you do it? Would you deny him? I'm not going to make the mistake of Peter. I don't know. And you don't either. You hope you would do what's right. Now, Mike did not deny Christ. We know he was a believer. He was worried about his salvation. I said, Mike, if you're worried about your salvation, if you're worried you're, you're, you're not saved, you're saved. <laughs> you know this. God's grace covers all sins. Only rejecting the witness of the Holy Spirit would not, will not be forgiven because the person doesn't want to be forgiven. The person who's rejected the witness of the Holy Spirit has rejected Christ, so God will not force anyone into heaven against their will. Mike's with Jesus right now, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And it's going to take us up to six weeks to get the complete autopsy report. I don't know if I'll be able to share any of that with you. All of this is dependent on what Mike's brother David wants known and not known and his fiancée as well. I've cleared everything I'm saying here with them out of respect for them. But I also want to, I want to deal with the issue of Mike and uh, his legacy because some people have claimed that he was an embarrassment to higher education. In fact, somebody wrote him back in 2013 that he was an embarrassment to higher education because he believed in marriage is between one man and one woman. And one of Mike's most famous columns is called An Embarrassment to Higher Education. It was written August 28, 2013. You can Google it and find it. This column was so powerful that even Rush Limbaugh read it on his show. So did Dave, I mean, so did Glenn Beck and several others. I'm going to read that column to you because it shows Mike's insight, Mike's wit, and Mike's ability to really put things in perspective. The person that wrote him that said, Mike Adams, you're an embarrassment to higher education because you believe marriage is between one man and one woman, was, his name was Edward. And here's what Mike wrote back. Dear Edward, I want to take the time to thank you for writing and telling me that I should be fired from my position as a tenured professor because I am the biggest embarrassment to higher education in America. I also want to thank you for responding when I asked you exactly how you arrived at that conclusion. Your response, quote, because you insist that marriage requires one man and one woman unquote, was both helpful and concise. While I respect your right to conclude that I am the biggest embarrassment to higher education in America, I think you're wrong. In fact, I don't even think I'm the biggest embarrassment to higher education in the state of North Carolina. But since you're a liberal and you support, quote, choice, unquote, provided we're talking about dismembering children and not school vouchers for those who weren't dismembered, I want to give you some options. In fact, I'm going to describe the antics of 10 professors, official campus groups, and invited campus speakers in North Carolina and let you decide which constitutes the biggest embarrassment to higher education. Number one. In the early spring semester of 2013, a women's studies professor and a psychology professor at Western Carolina University co-sponsored a panel in bondage and S&M. The purpose of the panel was to teach college students how to inflict pain on themselves and others for sexual pleasure. When you called me the biggest embarrassment in higher education, you must have, no, you must have not known about their bondage panel. Maybe you were tied up that evening and couldn't make it. There's Mike's use of 
puns and irony and satire. Number two, at UNC Chapel Hill, there is a feminist professor who believes that women can lead happy lives without men. That's nothing new. But what's different is that she thinks women can form lifelong domestic partnerships with dogs and that those relationships will actually be fulfilling enough to replace marital relationships with men. I can't make this stuff up, Ed. I don't drop acid, well, at least not since the late 1980s, but I promise this story is real and not an LSD flashback. Number three, at Duke University, feminist hired a sex worker, read prostitute, to speak as part of an event called the Sex Workers Art Show. After his speech, the male prostitute pulled down his pants, got on his knees, and inserted a burning sparkler into his rectum. While it burned, he sang a verse of the Star Spangled Banner. I believe that the stripping incident was almost as embarrassing as the other one involving the Duke lacrosse team. Number four. A porn star was once paid to give a speech at UNC Greensboro. The topic was safe sodomy. After her speech, the feminist photographer sold autographed butt plugs to students in attendance. I'm not sure whether the ink could contribute to rectal cancer. I'm no health expert, but I do know it was pretty darned embarrassing when the media picked up on the story. Number five, a few years ago at UNC Chapel Hill, a feminist group built a large vibrator museum in the middle of Campus Quad as part of their Orgasm Awareness Week. I think that was probably the climax of the semester, academically speaking, but they certainly weren't too embarrassed to display a vibrator that was made out of wood back in the 1920s. Keep your batteries charged, Ed. We're about halfway done. Okay, now I'm reading from An Embarrassment to Higher Education by Dr. Mike Adams. This is one of his most famous columns. And as you can see, he's not pulling any punches. He goes on. Number six. A feminist administrator at UNC Wilmington sponsored a pro-abortion event. During the event, they sold T-shirts saying, I had an abortion to students who, well, had abortions. That's right, Ed. The students were encouraged to boast about the fact that they had killed their own children. That's how the UNC system is preserving the future of our great Tar Heel state. Number seven, the following semester... That same UNCW administrator sponsored a workshop teaching students how to appreciate their orgasms. I learned art appreciation in college. Today, college kids are taught orgasm appreciation. I will let you decide whether that's an embarrassment to hire Ed. Ed. Number eight, a few years ago, a UNCW... Now, let me stop here, ladies and gentlemen. Your young people are listening going, wow, this is really edgy. Yeah, it is edgy because he's making a point here that the people who are screaming the loudest about a man who believes that marriage is between a man and a woman apparently don't even see the kind of heinous education that is really being put out by higher, so-called higher education in the system right here in North Carolina. He's pointing this all out. And some people can't handle the truth. We need more people pointing this out. We need more people pointing out the immorality and outright irrationality of the kind of thing that passes for higher education. And Mike Adams stood up and pointed it out. Number eight, and, and by the way, this, as I said, was 2013. This, it's gotten worse since then. You think these things are bad? We could, I could go through another list, but you don't want to hear any more, and neither do I. Let me just do the, complete the column here. Number eight. A few years ago, a UNCW English professor posted nude pictures of underage girls as part of an art exhibit in the university library. The provost then ordered the nude pictures to be moved away from the library and into the university union. This decision was made after several pedophiles had previous been caught downloading child pornography in the university's library just a few yards away from the location of the display. The English professor was incensed, so she asked the faculty senate to censure the provost for violating, quote, her academic freedom. Unquote. The faculty senate sided with the feminist professor. The provost was later pressured to leave the university. Number nine, a different feminist professor at UNCW, Wilmington, accused a male professor of putting tear gas in her office. She was later caught putting her email in or putting her mail in a microwave oven. She did this because she thought people were trying to poison her with anthrax and that the oven would neutralize the toxins. She was not placed on leave for psychiatric reasons. Instead, she was designated 
as the university's official, quote, counterterrorism expert, unquote. Number 10. And then there's Mike Adams. He thinks marriage is between a man and a woman. So those are the choices, Ed. You can simply write back and tell me which of those professors, groups, or guest speakers has caused, quote, the biggest embarrassment to higher education, either in North Carolina or in America altogether, or you can just concede that our education system of higher, H-I-R-E, education is the real embarrassment because it has been hijacked by radical feminism. That's Mike Adams, ladies and gentlemen, one of his more famous columns. Now, sometimes the truth needs to be stated directly, and Mike did, and too few of us won't state it because we're too afraid. Do you know what the biggest embarrassment to higher education is? So-called educators who aren't educating but indoctrinating our youth into the false and damaging notion that we can just construct our own reality, that it's true that there's no truth, that false and immoral ideas are true, even though there is no truth, and good, even though there is no good, that a failed totalitarian system like Marxism should be forced on free people in the name of justice, that your skin color makes you either an oppressor or a victim, that an unborn child has no right to life and can be killed at any time for any reason, even after birth. Yeah, these are the embarrassments to higher education. That biological men and women don't exist, that sex and marriage are merely social constructs, that the biological two-parent family must be destroyed, and of course, with it, then children. That gender dysphoria should be treated with surgery rather than psychiatry. That the greatest system to turn poverty into prosperity for literally billions of people around the world, not just here, and that system is regulated capitalism, that that must be replaced with a socialist system that denies the realities of human nature and economics. Because socialism denies the fact that we're fallen. It denies the fact that we're not going to work to line other people's pockets if we can't keep the fruits of our own labor. But that's what socialism teaches. The biggest embarrassment to higher education are the educators who are educating that the United States, founded on equal treatment under the law, and a country that actually conducted a civil war to achieve that ideal, is a source of evil. How can this country be a source of evil with those ideals? Oh, sure, we haven't always lived up to it. Obviously, none of us live up to it. But the ideals you can't improve upon. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You can't improve upon that. The biggest embarrassment to higher education are the educators who are teaching us that God doesn't exist and hence you are your own God. Look, if you're teaching these false ideas, you're not woke, you're asleep. You're asleep to the truth about reality. The biggest embarrassment to higher education is what passes at higher education. Mike Adams was one of the very few bright spots in higher education. And you don't have to ask me, you can ask your students. We need more Mike Adams. More like him, not fewer. But too few people will even support somebody like this. They'll do it quietly. Mark Stein wrote a nice piece about Mike called An Unhappy Warrior. I think that's what it was called. Or not so happy warrior. Look it up. Mark Mark Stein, brilliant guy. S T E Y N. Here's what he wrote in his column: Pushing back, like Mike did, can be initially exhilarating and then just awfully wearing and soul crushing. I'm with you 100%, of course, but please don't mention I said so. Mike told me personally that there were professors who would email him or see him and quietly say, "Look, I'm really, I'm really with you, but but I can't say anything." Mike would call them cowards because that's what they are. In fact, that's one reason the country is where it is. Few have the courage to stand up to the bullies, to stand up to the mob. And those that do, like Mike Adams, aren't backed up or encouraged by the so-called silent majority. That's the problem. If there is a silent majority, it's silent. It can't be silent anymore, friends. Your freedoms, my freedoms, the greatest country in the world will be destroyed if you don't speak up. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. Mark Stein wrote, Mike is a tireless and happy 
an apparently happy warrior exhausted by a decade of litigation, threats, boycotts, ostracization, and more, found himself sitting alone. And all he had, all he heard was the deafening silence of the, quote, silent majority, unquote, was his own isolation and despair. A terrible end for a brave man. Rest in peace. Jeff Myers, who's now the president of Summit and a personal friend of Mike like me, said in his column at townhall.com, what is sadly ironic about this is that those who do not share the ideology Mike articulated had the truest kind of friend in, in him. Mike ardently defended the right of people of all viewpoints to say with passion the things that overflow from their hearts and inform their worldviews. The cancel culture would not have returned the favor. Professors often grandly claim that they will defend free speech, defend free speech to the death. Most of them are blowing smoke. Mike wasn't. He fought, every, he fought for everyone's freedom, even those who used it to launch hurtful personal attacks against him. David French said this, Mike isn't canceled. His sin is. In God's glorious presence, his good name is restored. Rest in peace, my friend. Yeah, you're, you're, you're really working for an audience of one, ladies and gentlemen. There's always going to be haters out there. And let me just say one thing. If somebody doesn't hate you, you're probably not doing very much. If somebody doesn't come up against you, they probably don't even know you're a Christian. If somebody isn't upset with you because you're standing for truth and goodness and righteousness, they don't even know you're standing for truth, goodness, and righteousness because you're too silent. Let me go back to Laura Morrison because Laura Morrison was one of his students, and she wrote the longest tribute to Mike. I'm going to read some of it. I can't read all of it. You can type in Mike S. Adams obituary condolences. You'll see it there. I'm rearranging it a little bit for coherence because she had all sorts of different ideas all over the place, but I'm abbreviating it. Here's what she said. Mike Adams knew that I was a liberal. He knew I was a feminist, and I was still one of his favorite students. I'm heartbroken that the word vile is being used as a descriptor for my dead friend. Mike Adams was a good man who had an amazing talent for teaching. I never met anyone who didn't love his classes. They tended to be filled to the brim each semester. Outside of school, Mike became my friend, and yes, just my friend who would always see him, you would always see him out with his friends because he really loved to socialize. He really loved people. He really did what was best for people. Don't let today's social media BS, she spells it out, blind you to who people really are. Don't let the media's love for a gory story full of a white man's supposed bad turns turn you from the real accomplishments of this man. Mike Adams was a man who, in spite of his social media posts, has left the world a better place, tangibly. College kids and humanity in general right now need to grow up and grow some, you know what? College kids certainly don't need, to, don't need safe spaces. They need to be confronted with reality. And if they're going to go out into the, the world of law enforcement, social work, or any criminal justice so, sociological work, they need to be confronted harder, she has it in caps, I watched a lot of people run away scared within weeks from hard jobs. She worked in it for 10 years, she said. But I'm so proud of the work I did. And it was all inspired by Mike Adams being an amazing professor. I wanted to learn more from him. My heart is going out. Sorry. My heart's going to be broken for a long time over the death of Mike Adams, over what turned out to be a suicide and over how vilified he was or has been in the media, despite that he was just a normal man who at some time had, at times, extreme opinions. I, too, have some extreme opinions at times. I guess they are just on the right side of the media. Yeah, she's a liberal. She can express them. But at the end of the day, in a real friendship, you understand that you're not going to like 100% of everyone and you just do your best to just love people while they're around. Unquote, said Laura Morrison just a couple of days ago on the condolence page for Dr. Mike Adams. Friends, only Christianity teaches that we're all made in the image of God and that we're all worthy of respect. 
whether you agree with them politically or not. The university official who Deb dubbed Mike a racist and his tweets vile is made in the likeness of image of God an image of God and he deserves respect even though his behavior was abhorrent. To label a good man like that because he doesn't even understand history or satire. Now you need to pray for Mike's brother David Adams and his wife Laura who live in Missouri. As soon as they heard, they got on a plane and came to Wilmington and all week have been dealing with things that none of us want to deal with. Please pray for them. Pray for his fiance who's going to remain nameless, a wonderful woman, Mike's fiance. A private burial service is going to be held and we're not telling anybody where we're burying Mike. We don't want anybody to desecrate his grave. That's where we are now, friends. It doesn't need to be this way. Here's a lesson that I hope you can take away from this tragedy. You can be direct with people and challenge their arguments and behaviors. You can be satirical, even Jesus was, but don't attack the person. If you do, you might one day find that you help push that person over the edge. Our country has lost a bold advocate for freedom and truth. And those who knew him, we've lost a wonderful friend. We grieve that Mike is absent from the body, but he's, we also rejoice that he's present with the Lord. Thank God for the resurrection. We will see Mike again. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.